Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show Justin Redrick, aka Bitcoin Vegan on Twitter. Uh, super excited to have this guy on the show, fellow vegan in the Bitcoin space. Um, our numbers are growing. Uh, so this is a really fun episode. Justin is such a good guy. And for those of you who know his story and background is really interesting and really, really just excited and glad to have his voice and lived experience in the space, which we get into in this uh, in this episode. So we talk a lot about his own background, uh, criminal justice. We talk about, um, you know, his his own experience and things that he's learned coming into the Bitcoin scene since 2015, 2016 and the community that he comes from as well. So it was a really good and rich conversation. And this guy is doing really big things in the space, um, trying to bring Bitcoin financial literacy and education into the prison system uh, for reentry programs. And I also want to mention, uh, we talk about it in the podcast, but he's also starting and running a nonprofit, the Bitcoin Transformation Community, which I would highly encourage you to check out. Uh, the website is going to be in the show notes as well. You're going to continue to hear a lot about that um, from this podcast in general. Really, really believe in their mission and what they're trying to do. So really excited for that. And as always, you can check out the promo links for SAS Mining and Bitcoin Magazine in the show notes as well. And if you have any questions, reach out to us. Hello at ProgressiveBitcoiner.com. All right, we will see you next week. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Justin, welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. How's it going? Going good, going good. Good to be here again, man. Yeah, that's awesome. I know, I know. Again, that's right. Um, I'm I'm super excited to have you on the podcast and to talk to you. You've, um, I mean, you've been around for a little bit, but I feel like I've I've seen you popping up again quite a bit more uh, at so many different events, uh, conferences, uh, Ozo Freedom Forum, um, jumping around in other people's podcasts. So it's it's super exciting to see, and I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, for a while. So you know, for uh, I guess initially, for those that don't know you, um, give us a little bit of your your story, you know, what you're up to and how you found yourself in the space. And we, we can go into that story a little bit more too, because I know there's okay. a lot to unpack, but you know, a little, a little quick summary. Um, quick summary. I'm Justin. I go by Bitcoin vegan on Twitter. Uh, I'm the author from bars to Bitcoin. Um, and my story in the Bitcoin is about learning about Bitcoin coming home from prison and using Bitcoin as a springboard to life. Um, and some of the things that led me to be a stone cold Bitcoin were just incidences that had taken place before even graduating high school, like losing a house, losing a friend to a violent murder, um, dropping out of college and going to prison and then coming home, being an entrepreneur and, and finding out that there is an opportunity in the world to be different, you know, do something different and be first. Uh, it's kind of hard to be an early adopter anything these days, but especially coming out of prison and having Bitcoin there to provide that opportunity, you know, no matter how many sets you have or don't have, it's always, it's always there and it's always an opportunity. So uh, Bitcoin provided a lot of hope to me and, um, you know, just throughout the years, I've provided a lot of education, whether through online, um, up until like the pandemic, it was mostly online. Then post pandemic, like 2021. Well, in 2020, I did a summer camp with my friend Bitcoin Zay for some kids. Uh, 2021, I was on Clubhouse teaching 
on the Black Bitcoin Billionaires Clubhouse group. I started a room called From Bars to Bitcoin and people who were either just home from prison or there were organizations, family members, or even people who were currently in prison or jail would come on and I'll teach them about Bitcoin and how they could change their lives with it. And in 2022, I was invited to the Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey Foundation Bitcoin Academy. Um, Bitcoin Academy to educate uh, in, on Bitcoin in Brooklyn in the Marcy houses. And um, as of this year, I launched a nonprofit called the Bitcoin Transformation Community with my co-founder, Dr. Stacy Boyle. She should be on here as well one day. Mm. But um, Would love that. Yeah, our first project is actually from bars to Bitcoin. So going inside of prisons and educating on Bitcoin. I joined a group of reentry professionals and they asked me to bring the skills that I had in Bitcoin and um, to couple that to hopefully find economic, I mean, employment opportunities in the Bitcoin space and uh, looking in the mining sector first. So hope that helped. I mean, it, it kind of, you know, glossed over the past like seven years. So here we are today. I mean, that's like a five part series episode right there. What, what you just mentioned. So I'm trying to think of, you know, where do we, where do we go from that? Um, First of all, I think, and it's so funny because I just told my wife about this. If people haven't seen it yet, uh, I think a nice little synopsis and entry into to who you are and, and what you're about is the Compass Mining documentary. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's called From Bars to Bitcoin, right? The actual title yeah. of it. Um, I think it's like seven minutes or so, and it's a good uh, introduction, I think, to to you and, and your background and can be a, a launching pad. How, how did that documentary come about? <laughs> Uh, so one day, let's see, it had to be in like January 2022. Like I, I often go on these like Bitcoin networking binges, just, you know, whom or whomever is in my following or inbox, I just like, you know, hey, you look interesting, you want to talk? Like, you know, just, I mean, I know nothing, I can know nothing about you neither. Just you tweet some good stuff, it's pretty cool, what's up? Because in my idea, Every person who's in Bitcoin has like some genius gene in them. Um, if you can conceptualize this this thing we have here called Bitcoin, then there has to be there has to be some type of high level of intellect in you. Um, that's just how you're I either it. crazy or really smart, right? Yeah, it's, or, the, or yeah, both. Like, yeah, yeah, a little bit of both. Like, yeah, I mean, right, right. nowadays, you know. If someone's a genius, they got to be crazy, you know. Right. Look at, like it's you don't know no normal geniuses, I guess. But mm-hmm. like I just, I just the approach I take. So then I met this one guy. He was name was Neil Galloway. He was the director of mining operations at Compass Mining at a point in time, and uh, we just connected online. And he said, you know, I told him who I was, how I got into the space, and he told his uh, content director by the name of Will Foxley. And he was just like, yeah, you know, I, I heard about you. I read, I don't think he had read the book, but he had read some pages of the book. And he um, he uh, saw the Peter McCormick interview. And he was like, you know, we do uh, documentaries, small documentaries. I think they had done one on the Navajo uh, project. And I was just like, you know, I didn't know, like, you know, where, where it was going to go. But I was just like, yeah, let's, let's. Let's keep in touch. So this was in January. Um, we were, you know, filling out. We were just always, we, it was a constant session of filling each other out, you know, seeing if I was legit, probably seeing if they were legit. Um, 
And then once we got over that hump, you know, then there's all this other stuff with crypto and Bitcoin. And I think Compass had hit a snag too. And, you know, Will was like, you know, do you still want to do this project? I'm like, bro, I don't really give a damn that y'all had that experience. See, is what it is. is the Bitcoin space, man. Like, you got to get comfortable seeing companies fall at the drop of a dime. Um, and they ain't really fall. You know, they just went through some bear market stuff, in my opinion. Um so yeah, it didn't it didn't deter me from still wanting to do the project. And so, you know, we were still going back and forth for a while and it started becoming real when it was like, you know, we planning these dates to come here, will you be available? And I was like, Yeah, I'll be here. And I had just um uh, come back from doing a lot of the the Bitcoin Academy work in, in New York. So it was a point in time where from like August to September, it was something every week. It was either New York, the Blackout Conference for the Black Bitcoin Billionaires, then the actual shooting of the documentary. So that came about through Twitter, through other connections, and met, met Will, met Neil Barkley, Damien, who's actually you know editing these things. So he seems to be all over the place. So wherever he is, I feel good. But that's yeah, how it came yeah. about. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Talk to us a little bit about, you know, the academy work in in New York, in in Brooklyn. So, you know, I think I peripherally heard about this a couple of years ago when they launched. I forget when they exactly launched, but, you know, how did that go about? Did, was it, you know, similar to you're like, let me hit up their DMs or was it, you know, they reached out to you and got connected with them? Um, you know, I know you got a whole group of people behind you as well with the Black Bitcoin billionaires. Um, but mm-hmm. I want to hear more about that because that's that's super cool to me. Uh, well, it, it all came about by the Black Bitcoin Billionaire. Like, I had nothing to do with it other than just being in the right place at the right time. Um, like, I, I had no communication with who was in charge or, you know, who who brought who on. Like, um, I got a call from Lamar Wilson and he said, you know, can you do this? I'm like, yeah, I'll be up there bright and early. So um, it was it was a unique experience. I actually I was. My first time in New York was by was you was by the project, um, and what's interesting was this can get kind of like sad. I had gone to Times Square for the first time in my life, and that was fun. And I actually on this trip or or yeah, another time. Oh, no, okay. this, like yeah. my very first trip in New York was during for the Bitcoin Academy, and I was like, I I don't know why I had my phone out. No, I know how I know why because. They had the the street entertainers, dancers doing flips, and then I'm scanning around and I seen them all run to somebody and everybody's giving them dap. And this uh, Twitch boss, the guy the, uh, who worked for Ellen DeGeneres, the DJ, yes. who, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, you know, I, I didn't really know who he was. He just showed up. Wow. Yeah, and then like, you know, they talk about his passing, and I'm looking at the phone like, holy shit, like. There is this, there he is. Like, you just don't never know. And just being there, you're like, you never know what someone is actually thinking. Like, you had just been, you thought everything was good. And I think he was out there with his wife. But yeah, um, that was that. But um, beyond that, it was a very interesting, man. Um, very interesting. I've taught adults, I've taught like uh, middle school students, I've taught high school students. And um, 
it was a fun time. It was you got to actually watch how you can impact a community. And, um, you know, it, it, one of the biggest things was that, like, people actually felt like it was genuine. Um, and, like, these groups of people, they probably don't have, they don't have Bitcoiners just coming at them, teaching them about Bitcoin, because there's a big disconnect in the gap. So to be able to provide that education, to change lives as, you know, small as you can, it was really great. It was really great. Mm. So on, on the housing development end, when, when you were first there, did you notice, was there kind of like skepticism? Was there like, what are these people doing here? Was it like, oh, cool. This is like some Jay-Z thing, you know, Jack Dorsey thing. You know, how was it? How was it received? When, and did you see any transition uh, during the time? Well, when I got there, I think they were, they had had like several sessions already. So okay. I wasn't like the very, very first one of all. Um, so I didn't really see all that. By the time I got there, everyone knew who Lamar Wilson was. They were, they were ready, you know. So whatever Lamar did that allowed them to take in the information made it a lot easier for me. Um, and then... I did the same thing I usually do, tell people who I am, how I got there. And that kind of blew people's minds, too, because they saw that, you know, there was a guy who doesn't have a college degree that, um, you know, doesn't have the same uh, background as most people who come into the space do to, to, to make something of themselves. So that was very encouraging. And the one thing I would notice was that even with the information we were sharing, people would still say, well, you know, I, I don't have money to, I don't have enough money to buy Bitcoin, I need a job. And it was during those times that I was thinking to myself, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta continuously build this thing out full circle because just knowing about Bitcoin doesn't mean nothing to, doesn't mean the same thing to everybody else. Like, if I still have to make a decision between bread, water, and gas, Bitcoin will not get that, get that look. So, you know, even, but, you know, even taking it to the point of like how people can just save smallly and, you know, well, small amounts, do whatever, like it, it helps to see like there's a gap and how you can fix that gap. And once you can fix gaps that help you know, groups of people, you can start, you know, making more moves. But it was still a great experience. You know, the feedback was the feedback was what it was. You know, some people might not have enjoyed it. The majority of people that I saw did. Um the children did a lot. Uh, they just, they, we helped them understand like how inflation was, how inflation works and why, you know, holding certain assets is more valuable than just purchasing things. And uh, Lamar would use a great example of the Manhattan, the church who bought up, who's worth like $6 billion because they, they bought so much land in Manhattan. And he said, well, Bitcoin can, can, can be the same type of thing. You know, it's an asset. And the reason that land is valuable because you can't print anymore. So uh, putting those type of, um, that type of knowledge within investment, money, and economics, you saw more of the light bulbs just keep clicking, you know, um, and that that did a lot of good. We even played a game that helped people understand investment a little bit and you saw kids going up there trying to, you know, either hold an asset or, you know, sell it on the side or, you know, trying to, you know, do different things 
to help them understand like how assets and investing works and how even getting rug pull works, you know, so mm-hmm. have given the full swing. Yeah. So you mentioned early on to a point. So one of the things that I've talked to a lot of people about, and especially, you know, being the progressive Bitcoin or podcast, one of the things that I want to try to focus on a lot with this podcast and guests we have are, you know, not that a guest has to be progressive or that the audience has to be progressive, but you know, what are those issues and values that progressives say they care about, right? So like the environment, income inequality, you know, those type of things. And, you know, how can Bitcoin address that? For me, we've started to see more about the environment, right? Like Bitcoin mining is becoming one of the more sustainable um, energy, uh, you know, sources and industries out there. But one of the things that's a bigger question mark for me and a harder, more complex conversation is, you know, wealth inequality and Bitcoin and wealth inequality as it applies to certain communities in the U.S., um, for a very long time, right? Um, you know, just minority communities in general in the U S and globally, but that's one of those things that it's not a simple answer to say Bitcoin fixes that, right? Like you mentioned, some people are like, I don't have enough money to buy Bitcoin, but you brought up jobs and employment yeah, and that's interesting as well. So from your, from your end, what do you think about when people talk about like Bitcoin income inequality, addressing those things? How do you, how do you view some of that? How do you think through that? To be quite honest, Income equality, um, you know, we gotta, you gotta be real. Some people put in more; they bring more to the table than others. You know, um, you know, you you you'll always have that. You know, you'll always have a scenario where somebody is going to be able to bring more value than you, and they should be, um, you know, paid for the value. However, that doesn't mean that everybody should be completely asked out. Um, so I think, you know, you attack that by number one, providing opportunities, um, as a company, as a company can, um, whether that's, you know, loosening up on, like, there's so many different restrictions from people getting employment. Um, there's so much, you know, oh, well, you need to, you need to have this type of a degree or you need to be, you know, qualified from this school. And one of the things, you know, at the uh, Bitcoin transformation community that Dr. Boyle talks about a lot of time is that we're moving towards a a space where skilling and the skills you have will help determine like what you can do and what jobs you are, um, you are uniquely qualified for, and not just, you know, where you went to school, where you graduated from. And, you know, when it comes to those types of scenarios, you know, how can someone validate your skills? You know, can we put you on the job or... Or, um, you know, have you built a product for yourself that can be something that, you know, someone can see value in? But I think the whole the whole setup of how it is as a whole has to be adjusted a bit uh, because what, what is happening is it's causing a strain on the country, you know, in America itself. Um, but when you look at it like a, a sustainable incomes or um, income equality, in a progressive case of like making it more just about Bitcoin, you gotta understand that we're still in a time where people have to use fiat um, because everyone isn't accepting Bitcoin, everyone isn't paying in Bitcoin, but everyone can buy it. And so when I was here at these these uh, different communities, and even coming out of prison, you know, I've had Bitcoin, I've had to sell Bitcoin to get a car out of repossession or pay for something. Like I still came home to a very 
a bad financial scenario. So just knowing about Bitcoin, it did help, you know, but now like there has to be some type of um, income because when I look at it as someone who comes out of prison, you know, people traditionally make fifteen to twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a year, you know, coming home from prison. There's a lot of people in our population that have that, that have that problem. So if you want to fix things, you want to be able to fix it kind of from, you know, the bottom up, but then also provide like very potent information, you know, because they like some of the information is just how money works. So um, it's a big thing to tackle, and I feel people should just tackle a piece of what they can see that they can can do. So, you know, uh, getting getting into what you were alluding to. So you grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, talk to me about growing up in Charlotte. Um love love hearing people's background stories and then, you know, you can talk a little bit about as well as much as you're comfortable with and, you know, there's there's many other conversations, podcasts, again, the documentary I referenced, your book that I, I'll include in the show notes. Definitely want people to go and and get and read, uh, which is really great. But you go into a little bit about that, you know, growing up in Charlotte and then where you, where you found yourself at and kind of how that journey meandered. I mean, growing up in Charlotte for the most part was good. Um, it wasn't, you know, all bad, all, all, all great. It was a mixture of ups and downs. Uh, you know, for most, for the most part of my life, it was me and my mom and when you're young, you just don't know what you're mentally caught up in until like you can get old enough to step outside of it. So like when we when we lost our house, it was in the suburbs, it was a nice house. And we had to go back to uh, you know, different community. And from there, since I had lived in Charlotte a long time, I knew like different types of people from all over. And when I was going when I had transferred from my school at Garrett to West Charlotte. You know, that's when life had gone a bit different. Um, you know, I was just hanging out then. I was still hanging out with the basketball team, but the basketball team would be hanging out in the streets at the parties. And, like, you just – it was just a big difference. Like, oh, like, nothing was really separate. Um, so I would do a lot of partying. I did a lot of – I smoked a lot of weed and, and drank in high school, too. That's why I look back like, damn, like, that was really – like it was really bad, you know, but again, that's what you thought was the cool thing to do. And one night, you know, one of my friends got killed at a party and it was just like, damn, you know, life is still going on. Uh, there was never really any real treatment for it, like mentally. So like you just got 17, 16 year old kids just with a fresh murder on their head, just walking around, you know, and this is what you know you think is just real life. Uh so it was it was a lot of just random things going on that I really couldn't process well. Hmm. And, and that was really I, moving to sorry to interrupt. That was really moving too in the in the documentary, you went to that house, right? Where the yeah. the party was at. So there we were in there partying, like some folks from their neighborhood came in there. They were talking about that gang. They pulled out a gun and started shooting. I turned my back and I hear a gunshot. Turn the lights on, you see Travis bleeding out on the floor. I remember me taking off my shirt and the white blood from his mouth. I was hoping he'll make it. But after a while, like I saw life leave his eyes. Took place right in there. 
going back was just like, damn. Yeah. Like, wow. 15 years later. And I had told Will, I was like, you know, I wasn't necessarily running from it, but it definitely felt like I confronted something that I didn't know I was running from. So, um, you know, then, then going through that, you start thinking like, well, nothing can be that bad in life. And I had gone to college. I actually did two years of college, North Carolina A&T. And I wasn't doing nothing up there but partying and smoking weed and chasing girls. But one day I was in class and I just heard my professor talk about how jobs wouldn't be available for like five years after graduating. And I started thinking like, well, damn, like, your what is Sally May going to do? Like, did, Sally May wants they, the money. You know, how are we going to pay wow. them? Man? They said the quiet part out loud. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I don't like this. Like, I, I felt like I was being scammed, you know, like, what is going on? But so I decided to drop out and dropping out of college wasn't a great idea, not without a plan. I dropped out in like 2009. So, you know, if I had used my refund check to buy Bitcoin in, we'd probably be decent. But, you know, that didn't happen. But um, from there, when uh, when I got out and you no, know, when I was high school, I mean, in college, dropped out. I just started hanging out with other different type of folks who I probably shouldn't have and later go to prison. So um, within all of that time, I was just spiraling down. And it wasn't until I was in prison. It was like, you know, there's nowhere else you can go. That, like, well, there is. There's only one place you can go that gets worse than this. And um, and I, I remember sitting down like, yo, I really fucked up. Like, I really fucked up. So... And then I was saying, like, you know, how can I make a, you know, how can I come back and bring my, when I get out, you know, make my life have meaning. Um, and just think about a way to continuously push forward. Like everything I did led me there. So if I have my my movements and actions aligned and going somewhere that's a bit more positive, you know, where would that take you? So that's what I did. And uh, when I came home, one of the first things I did, I had transitioned to a vegan diet and I was selling vegan food. And and then the marvelous world of Bitcoin came around. Um, and my friend Isaiah Jackson was telling me about it. And the first thing that stood out to me was that it was decentralized. And when I realized what decentralization was, it was like stamps in prison. And what that means is like when you were in prison, you can have like an ID card. And if your family sends you money, you can swipe the card. Uh, but if you don't have any money, then you have to use, you have to hustle on the yard and find a different way to eat. So, um, but the main currency was stamps. It was a D. It was a different currency than what was allowed for us to use. And so when I would think about like decentralization, I was like, okay, Bitcoin could work then if it's a different currency. Because uh, in, in prison, we had to leave stamps on. Like we want, The main thing was you wanted to keep stamps in circulation on the yard. And we would set the price of a stamp. Instead of buying it for 40 cents in the canteen, we would sell it for 30 to 35 cents. And we could just exchange goods and services with, with, with the stamps. And some people would loan them out. They'll, you know, hustle them. You could just use, it was just used as a different currency. So... When I was in prison, that's what we used. But when I was out and I was learning about Bitcoin, I was like, all right, so this can be used to buy things as a storage of value. 
and the concept of like a different alternative money wasn't too hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, but what really took it to the next level was when I was like, all right, so if this is freedom money, how could it survive prison? So if I had a cell phone in prison and I had Bitcoin on it, um, and let's say the guards would shake down my room and take my cell phone, but if I still have my private keys, they'll never have access to my Bitcoin and I'll still be able to, you know, use the Bitcoin. So and get another phone, get an, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, Or just wait till I, you know, and this is a big if, because people start thinking that this actually happened. I never had Bitcoin in prison, hmm. but it just showed me like there was freedom here, really, as long as you kept up with it and you were responsible. And that's just when I just jumped all in. Um, I first bought Bitcoin. It was around $626 in 2016. Hmm. Um, I would sell my food. My friend Isaiah bought Bitcoin from me for some fajitas that were $12. And now they might be, I don't know. Um, right. I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a very good hodler back then. Hmm. I was just like, yo, figure it out as you go. You know, because I, I noticed how the world was not really knowing nothing about it. So that was a plus for me. Um, it was borderless, permissionless. It didn't care about the track record, none of that. And I understood, like, if I could be here early and have knowledge, that that knowledge would now would become valuable down the line. Even if you don't have a lot of Bitcoin on you the knowledge and not understanding what it is and being articulate and teach people and walk them down certain processes and steps will set you apart from a lot of people, you know, even the new people who come in, you know, they still, they still have their own, their own ups and downs of bear markets and losing the password, sending Bitcoin to the wrong address and all this other type of stuff. So I just saw value in it as a whole. And it was like, you know, let's hop on board. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, a couple of things too. Well, first of all, going, going back before we lose it, um, you know, I, I'm vegan, you're a vegan. There's not too many, uh, Bitcoin you know, out vegans and, uh, and, and Bitcoin. Right. Um, so for you, was that, was that kind of a part of a, you know, you're in prison and you, you said it really profoundly in the, in the documentary as well. You were like, I didn't, I think you said something like you didn't have a watch or weren't looking at your watch. You were like, I looked at the sun, it went up, it went down and you're like, I'm here. Like I'm yeah. here. So when, you know, was that kind of part of the same process of like, when I come out, like I want to do things differently. That's one of the ways I want to do things differently. When did that, that first happen for you? So I boxed at this gym in Charlotte called Don Boxing and I just wanted to be like in crazy shape. And in prison, I really, like I said in the documentary, I realized you don't have to know nothing to get started. You just got to be willing to learn. And like I was a baker in prison. Like I've, I've done like a lot of wild things in prison that you, you have to learn how to do. So the aspect of learning and the understanding of the process of learning was, I think, my biggest thing. But you have to be committed. You know what I mean? So that's why like, I didn't have a watch in prison because it like what what the hell like i can't go nowhere outside of where i am they're going to feed us the same time do everything the same time so the thought of me looking at the watch didn't matter uh but when i came home from prison like when i had first gone vegan i threw out most of the stuff in the refrigerator and just said we're going to go dive right into it uh so i always knew it. you had to commit to something new i knew that your body would try to reject it your mind would reject it but you got to commit um 
So when I came out of prison in 2014, I had gone vegan in November 2015. So I was only home like a year and six months until I had transitioned to a vegan diet. And I've been vegan ever since. So when it came down to Bitcoin, you know, it was an easier thing because, like, you know, I made this big diet change with myself. I can and take I grew one, up in the I South, too. So, Bitcoin. like, yeah, yeah, growing up in the South, it's like, you, <laughs> like, I, you know, even me being vegan growing up in the South, I still go, you know, when I go home, it's like, it took them like four years to fully kind of start to get it. And when my, like, grandmother got it, that's when I was like, okay, so, you know, she like got that it was no animal products. It took her like four years. So I'm, I'm super proud of her. That was a big yeah. accomplishment for her to understand that. <laughs> but so it's, it's hard. It is a huge thing and it sounds kind of silly, but it's such a cultural shift mm-hmm. for that part of the world too. So that's a big commitment. Yeah. You know, I was catching slack from people who eat meat and then I'm in Bitcoin catching slack from people who, you know, don't know shit about Bitcoin and I remember one day I was like, you know, I'm just going to look up the phrase Bitcoin vegan. And I, I Googled it. I saw like zero results. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we riding with this one. We're going to take this right, name right. here. So, um, but that, that process helped me understand like what to expect in Bitcoin. Um, and even to the point of like, you know, cooking food from scratch. I kind of looked at it as Bitcoin. Like, you know, everything of what's going on with your money. Everything is out there. There's no way to, to hide it. Um, hell, you can even you can even mine your own Bitcoin, you know. So the fact that all of those factors, it was enough for me at that time to know like this is this is pure enough to move with. So mm-hmm. yeah, that when I when I saw like with Bitcoin, there was no way that no one else could could really alter it ever. Mm-hmm. That was that's that gave me a peace of mind knowing like all right. So that means everything is your responsibility, no matter what. Like, you lose your keys, your responsibility. You, you you invest your Bitcoin in something that you think is worth something and it turns out not to be, all on you. Like, nobody can block you now. And, um, you know, having that level of freedom with money, with currency, was, was like a big relief and something I, I look forward to sharing <clears throat> to a lot of people. You know, especially even if it's not the holding 10 Bitcoins, but the light bulb moment of like, oh, I could just open a Bitcoin wallet, start accepting payment, or I can do this mm-hmm. with Lightning, or I can, you know, I can have this Bitcoin here and, and use, you know, some Bitcoin app that gives out gift cards to buy other stuff and you can still move your life around. Once people see that it can still do that um, with the freedom of doing so, that's that's a big accomplishment. It changed the, it changed the the definition of me of financial freedom. Because yeah. when we say it in Bitcoin, like when other people say financial freedom, in traditional sense, it's just like, okay, well, I'm debt free, I'm debt positive, all of my stuff goes. Every big piece of money I make is, you know, straight, good to the green. However, you know, there's people watching your finances every day. There's someone who just, they're like, when me people would say like, oh, well, if the government turns off the internet, the government could turn off the bank quicker than it could turn off the internet. Mm-hmm. So, um, Within that, and then your money is not falling subject to crazy inflation. You know, like that's on you know, Bitcoin. That's what we call financial freedom. And you know, other places, it's it's just you know, oh, I'm zero debt, but your money's still controlled. Mm-hmm. So seeing those types of scenarios is what helped me become even more uh, deep in my conviction in Bitcoin. 
and I think it's easier to, I mean, you look at Bitcoin adoption globally, you know, unfortunately, I think sometimes other cryptos as well, but talking Bitcoin, a lot of the people that already, like you said, you're like, oh, we use stamps in prison. That's kind of like Bitcoin. So <laughs> when you're coming at, when you're coming at Bitcoin, not necessarily in a point of financial fiat, you know, benefiting from the current system way, mm -hmm. people tend to get Bitcoin a lot quicker, right? Like if they need peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin or something because they're trying to flee some, you know, gut, like dictatorship or government or their currency is inflating like 200%. They're like, Bitcoin looks pretty good. Even if it goes up and down, it's not as bad as that. Yeah. So, you know, in the yeah. U.S. context, if you're middle or upper class, right, and you are only benefiting from your, you know, 401k that's matched by this employer and, you know, the system as as the way it is and you've got your nice politics, you know, you're you're going to say why Bitcoin before mm -hmm. other people or you're, you're, you're going to dismiss it. So it seems like, you know, yes, you made a jump in some regards, but a lot of it seemed just natural for you. Like you were yeah. you were more already primed to be like this. Yeah, I can I can roll with this already. Well, it's almost like Bitcoin chose me, mm. you know, like because I remember holding my daughter and I was like, I have to find something and be there early. So mm. I can change my life with it. And then the movie Dope comes around. I see that. Um, uh, my mom shares a story of somebody telling her about an investment opportunity and we can invest some money and hope to learn, hope to earn more later. But, you know, it, ha it happened to be a scam and they were using Bitcoin, but that didn't, to me, that didn't mean Bitcoin was a scam. It was just something that was there. Uh, my granddaddy at 80 some years old tried to purchase a Bitcoin miner to mine Bitcoin. So it was all of these different. I remember you saying that maybe yeah. on Peter's podcast, I think. Yeah. 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 There, there was like That's all of these small factors around. that was just like, Give it a shot. But when you were speaking about like, you know, people using Bitcoin differently, when I was in Oslo, I noticed how everyone who was using Bitcoin there, they didn't really look at it as a number go up thing like we do mm -hmm. here. Yeah. It was all about freedom go up. Um, like this one woman, she was sharing a story of how she had to use Bitcoin to pay ransom, you know, to get people out oh, wow. of kidnapped situations. People had to use Bitcoin to go around their government. And they're not thinking about hodling. They're thinking about getting their freedom, getting getting from under a, uh, an oppressive regime. Hmm. So Bitcoin has many use cases and we here in America, we only talk about price. You know, hmm. that's really what it is. And when I saw all these other countries making Bitcoin or using Bitcoin, to improve their economic status. That's when I knew that there was a way, there was something out there that even here in America, that that model could be used. Um, mm -hmm. Because if we keep the same model up, there won't be any mass adoption. Yeah. You know, everybody can't buy a whole Bitcoin or half a Bitcoin. You know, everybody doesn't really care about stocks, bonds, trading, derivatives, what Bitcoin looks like pegged to this currency. You know, people need more real stuff than just talking about uh, the cosmetic side of Bitcoin. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different um, use cases and problems I feel Bitcoin has to solve in the world before other people start really are able to take it a bit serious. Because even there at Oslo, 
some of the activists and freedom fighters, they, they looked at the Bitcoins like, okay, y'all are here, that's cool. You know, it wasn't a conference where we were on display. It was like we were right. on the back seat and hearing how real life use cases, well, how big people were using Bitcoin in, in different real life use cases than what we were used mm-hmm. to. Yeah, so, uh, you know, back to you first getting into Bitcoin. So it, was it Isaiah who introduced you to, yeah. to Bitcoin first? Yeah, yeah. Isaiah so, was the guy so yeah, talk about this. So obviously Bitcoin is very much, you know, don't trust verify, but you know, there are people who influence us and we really look up to or we we bond with and connect with that we we trust at like a human level. So can you talk about your relationship with Isaiah and you know talk about black Bitcoin billionaires and what this community has meant to you? So I had known Isaiah since I was eleven years old. Um we play AU basketball together and he, like, I ran across him at a gas station, and he said, Justin. I'm like, who the hell is this? And he said, me, it's Isaiah. And I was like, oh, man. You know, we just caught up. And what I really gained this trust was when I first asked him about this um, this platform called, like, Coints. Again, it was a scamming platform. He said, well, you're probably about to get scammed. So how do you know that? He said, ask him for your money back. And I tried to ask for my money back and I never got it. Um, so he was the he was the only person I knew who could speak Bitcoin well, could like just go on and on for days about it. And I was just like, wow, like and his not and the knowledge he was giving out wasn't too flawed at all. Like there was really no holes when it came to Bitcoin. Um so I was like, all right, like we would talk price, we would talk about like the future of what it could look like and how the world would need Bitcoin one day. Um and then, you know, what blew would end up growing to the black Bitcoin billionaires, there was actually a conference there was a conference in DC called the Black Blockchain Summit. And that was in twenty seventeen, hosted by Sinclair Skinner. That was the first Bitcoin conference, anything I had ever gone to. And um, I remembered it was me, Isaiah, and then Lamar Wilson. So I had met Lamar in like 2017. And that was, you know, just quick meeting him, meet, hey, how you doing? Uh, But when Black Bitcoin Billionaires came about, Isaiah Lamar had created a group. I was still using an Android and I just got me an iPhone. I had joined the group. Um, but that that was a, a great opportunity because uh, it was during COVID and yeah, you you didn't have much going on, so everyone was there learning. Uh, we were we would talk about share educate on Bitcoin every day. Um, it was it was a great time, especially even down at the uh, Bitcoin Bitcoin 2021. We had a mansion party. We um, but we still we we always educated people. You know, we always find ways to, to put out education material and um, uplift our community. So the Black Bitcoin Billionaires Group was um, was something that it, it is something that that just continuously refines its way. You know, things happen in the bear market, price goes down, people might you know fall to the side or you know go back to doing what they love to do, but. The fact that, you know, it's still, we're still out there, we're still pushing. 
What do, what do you think? So you, you've mentioned scams a lot and sketchy a lot. So do you think, you know, the community you come from in Charlotte or just talking to people in general, is that one of the biggest things uh, on your end, or at least when you approach it or approach crypto, obviously that's a huge thing is people hear Bitcoin, they think scams, sometimes from like the progressive left camp, they think environmental stuff or different folks, or, you know, they, they think money laundering, there's all these different FUD cases, right? Where do you, where do you rank that scam sketchy? Is that, is that one of the top ones for you when you're talking to people? Uh, I mean, yeah, cause shit, SBF made it look even worse. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad one. You know, like even one. because it was able, people probably could have somewhat trusted it, but then just you know it. You 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 can't. Well, you know what? It. It's a good exercise in telling people. And again, I don't want people listening to this to then think, oh, you have to question everything just cause, but. FTX was making, uh, or Sam Sam was making massive donations to politicians, mainly Democrat politicians. FTX Arena in Miami, they were as they were trying to be as legitimate as possible for all intents and purposes. They were they were supported this whole time while they were scamming and doing what they were doing. They were seen as the most legitimate, if not more legitimate then your coin bases are right on par with like, oh, it's a company, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're safe. They're, they're talking to regulators. So, you know, that's one of the things that that's, that's a good example almost to tell people, you know, you, you do have to be skeptical, but just because they have their name on an arena or because Tom yes, Brady's nothing. linking up with them or whoever, um, yeah, it doesn't mean anything, um, at all. Yeah. That, that was one of the wild, wild things in, in the, pol- the political part of that as well. You know, people they checked off all the bo- all the surface level boxes to, to to someone's to gain trust of the public. Mm-hmm. You know what they expose us to is like how people really really buy validation, credibility, big names, Kevin O'Leary. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, but when you pull back, when you when you how like I said this when you open that oven you don't see nothing but syrup placed on shit. Right. Like there was there was nothing really being provided for them to just blow up like that. Mm-hmm. Um I mean we were in a bull market. No, we were yeah, we were in a bull market and you know, everybody's a genius in the bull market. You know, but everybody wants to also feel lucky like you were exposed to the greed of people. Um, to to the naivety, the naivety of people. Like just because they have money, they don't mean they won't buy anything. And right, you know, with the likes of an SBF, the crazy part about it is there's another one somewhere out there on the way. You know, there's all there's always that that, and there's always that other element. But this is what you get in the decentralized space. You know, this is what you get in the wild wild west. Like you gotta. You know, get learn. You got to learn by getting burned. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when you have all this, you know, freedom of thought, freedom of money, you can you can sway people to do anything, especially if you just make it look good. Yeah, but like just making something look good, it only lasts for for a little bit. It won't last forever. So, um, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the whole SBF debacle. You know, just because someone went to Stanford and their parents are attorneys or professors. Like they check off all the boxes, but mm-hmm. you know, you gotta think 
like the saying is, you know, if it's too good to be true, it might be. And it just blew up way too fast. Like it, to me, it seemed like it came came no came up out of nowhere, out of, uh, out of nowhere overnight. So there's just just a lot of different, um, in my opinion, different type of uh, factors to look at. But yeah, to answer your question, those the those scams and scammy, sketchy behavior. When you live in a place like Charlotte, <clears throat> that's like kind of closed-minded. It's the number three banking city in the world. Is is you're gonna always catch a? Mm, I don't know. Especially when you talk to traditional business people, mm-hmm. they want to stay safe and secure with what it is they know and what they're being told to know by other people who wear the suits and ties and you know who are the advisors. So, um, and who are benefiting from the system, like. Uh, and who are very directly benefiting from the system as right. is like, yeah, like Bitcoin so. is for everyone, but it's not for them. You know what I mean? In terms mm-hmm. of like their system, they like the way it is. Bitcoin, we're trying to say a system's not really working great. It's not right. headed in a good direction. It, it has never been, but you know, you can always print off more money to pay people more. And people don't really care about money, man. Not like, like, not like we think they do. Mm-hmm. I think that's that ever that's that ever ending battle in the very beginning, you know, and, and people can get burned over and over, but they don't that they don't know there's something outside of where they are, and they don't care to know or, you know. The reason I talk about the scams and sketchiness a lot because people you would hear often hear like the Janet Yellens or the Elizabeth Warren say, "Well, Bitcoin is bad. Like they're using this for this, or they're using Bitcoin to do this," and well, look at Silk Road and look at SBF. And, you know, the thing is, people don't understand that that's that actually makes Bitcoin's case a bit stronger. if You just don't know. it. Mm. Like You can actively find out where the bad actors are. You can pinpoint it. You can, you know, you is it's, it's not as like private as you think. Mm. As well, as in traditional finances. I think the U.S. lost like what nine trillion dollars during the two thousand and eight uh, recession. Mm-hmm. They don't. They say they don't know where the money is. And people can Google that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people are making all these claims that Bitcoin is bad and they're using it for this, like the U.S. dollar is still the number one currency on the black market. Um, if you live in the state where marijuana is legal and you're buying it with cash, that's a black market exchange. A lot of people don't take Bitcoin, um, but being able to share stories and incidences of where how people use Bitcoin to do something to listen and they were caught, that makes Bitcoin's case stronger. It just scares people to the oblivion to hear about it. But when you really sit down and think about it, that makes that that strengthens Bitcoin's case as to why it's an efficient currency. Strengthening Bitcoin's case, what do you what do you think are some of the key factors in getting us closer to Bitcoin mass adoption? Well, I think you know, and I put this on Twitter, and you and you you commented on it. I think people have to find a way for Bitcoin to solve problems that traditional world cares about. Yep, like it was already built in a way to solve the money problem, but. Like you got to find, you have to really want to find a way 
for Bitcoin to solve problems that the other person cares about. It's kind of like dating. Like if you talk to a woman, <clears throat> you only talk about what you want to do, what's going on. Like it's not going to go nowhere fast because people can only hear in the language that they like to process in. So if you don't speak the language of the other side for them to understand like there is a connection or for them to even think about a connection, it's going to always be a lose-lose. So um, like with with how I saw it with even the Bitcoin transformation community and the, the project from Bars of Bitcoin, uh, there was a lot of factors. You got a new technology somewhat. You got an industry that has a hole in it as far as like when I had gone to Empower and learned about mining companies needing people to work and um, I asked them like who are you open to have and will you have you know people with records work for you and I'm like yeah sure and I was thinking about like you know well how people always say like man if I had just you know a better job or could do something different I'll buy more Bitcoin that's what they say you know we don't know what they're going to do but, um, you know, so you, you got to think like, all right, how can Bitcoin solve a problem in the U.S.? You know, well, we have high recidivism rates. We have a, a big homeless population. Majority of people in this country go to jail behind money, especially in my community. Uh, and this is some things I would, I would share with, you know, people from Boston Bitcoin on Clubhouse, especially people who are in prison. You know, we all go to jail behind money. We're either selling drugs, we're stealing, trying to scam, flip a hustle, or you might even kill somebody for money or kill somebody because you don't have money. And, you know, the thought of not having it makes you irrational. And then you sit in jail for years. Like, there's this one guy, he did 30 years from 1989 to 2019. And I was just asking him, like, you know, what, I asked my friend when we were on Clubhouse, what's the price of a dollar eighty nine? He was like ninety five cents, and I said, what's the price of a dollar in twenty nineteen or two thousand twenty one? He was like eighty four cents. So I'm like, there's, a, excuse me, there's actual data that shows like the dollar gets worse as time goes on, and if you go to prison behind money, mm. that's a sure lack of financial literacy because. Financial literacy and understanding and opportunities available. You know, so there's a lot of different multipliers within these problems. But, you know, I think if people really want to find a way that Bitcoin can solve a problem, it doesn't have to be, you know, this big moonshot idea. You know, in my mind, you in my mind, it's like, you know, start out, start out small as you can and grow from there. Mm. Um, so. You know, that's just a lot of different ways, I believe, that if people, you know, actually took the time to think about, like, damn, like, you know, we, we really could, you know, do something. It doesn't have to be the, the grandest idea, you know, but it has to get the needle going to get towards the grand idea. Mm. Um, and that's how I think, you know, adoption can happen yeah. some type of way. Uh, you see it in all small communities across the globe. Everybody's trying. So that's the first step. Um, and we're all within that first step of just getting it out there and trying. And we're growing bit by bit. So, you know, um, and you have the, you have 
technology on your side, disruptive technology. You got technology that's on the way that could be coupled with Bitcoin somehow. You know, there's nothing impossible no more. So Mm -hmm. you just got to think bigger, fail bigger, you know, Mm -hmm. think bigger again, just try and apply. Um, Just, I mean, that's, that's really all I can think of, but just trying Again, if we if we find ways to show the outside world that Bitcoin can solve problems that they actively care about, you know, that's a shot. Because we can come out here talking about, oh, yeah, you know, it's a hard value. It's hard money. It's scarce. It's, it's mm-hmm. only 21 million. And, and, you know, government can't stop it. People really don't give a damn about that. Yeah. They don't. They don't even know they're in a financial hell. Mm-hmm. They don't know. The worst type of hell is the one you don't know you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the whole uh, the boiling water for the frog or the, the warm water. You know, everybody's in the warm, cool water. It's just nothing wrong over here. You know what I mean? So you got to gotta find a way to show Bitcoin can solve that problem. That's my three sets on it. Gosh, that's a whole nother conversation because that, that I keep coming coming back to that with you know, so many, so many guests I've talked to here and just offline is like, we've got to make it relevant to people's lives. And that, that means different things to different people. But I, I think that's exactly right. We've got to try to make sure, and Bitcoin is addressing and solving real world problems, but even more importantly, what it's also doing is getting people to see what the real world problems are in the first place, (laughs) like you said, right? Like people don't know the hell they're living in. That's brilliant. That's, that's exactly what it is. And we're still so early to to all of this right so there's a lot to be you know i find myself there's a lot to be upset and angry about in terms of people fighting bitcoin or in terms of the way the world is the politics as usual all of this but there's also a lot to be excited about and a lot to you know see like wow bitcoin is already winning in so many ways and and that i think is going to be a net positive for the world regardless of whether someone has a lot of bitcoin right now or not i think it's going to be a net a net positive so that's that's an exciting thing to think about. Um, before we wrap up here, what what on your end are some things that you're excited about? It can be in your own life coming up. It can be for for Bitcoin and the community at large. What are some things that you're you're looking forward to? I'll be biased. I feel the project we're creating is the the will be the greatest project since the creation of Bitcoin itself. Wow! Um, yeah, I like it. Saying, yeah, saying that because um, you know, with with the from bars and Bitcoin reentry tour with uh bitcoin transformation community like we're finding we're looking for ways to fill gaps before they come and as they come um like for instance with this re-entry tour not only am i gonna go inside prisons and educate on bitcoin but there's an opportunity to where, like it's not just me telling my story not just me talking about how good i'm doing not just me, you know, sharing about the world. It's me giving you that peace, but then providing you as someone who might have a year or two years coming home from prison, an opportunity to get a job in this space immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're in you're gonna be in an industry where it doesn't take a lot. Like you could be a uh, you can have electricity skills, welding skills, you have nothing but heart. And you can learn on the job, get paid decent. Like, you know, we're talking probably like 35 to 50K a year coming out of prison. Like, that's 
pretty good, you know, mm-hmm. judging from what the traditional numbers are and how you can grow in the industry. Uh, so I saw it as just ways to, to get a multiplier effect going and kind of, it's, it's like how mining uses wasted energy to mine Bitcoin. I see it as a project where people were going to use like, uh, I don't want to call the people waste, but we're using human capital energy that people, you know, wrote off and put it into the, the Bitcoin space mm-hmm. where you could work on, you know, different type of, you know, sites, maybe a repair technician or a, a generator technician. But this is it's an industry that's a fintech industry that has a void that needs to be filled that people don't really want to feel. So now like that creates a bit of a this equation that can help communities be safer. You provide family sustaining wages. You help reduce the amount of taxes American citizens pay on recidivism. Um there's a lot of positives, not just like, oh, I get to buy Bitcoin, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, so it's that and, you know, what we're doing at the Bitcoin transformation community and even how Dr. Boyle, she she finds different skills that's going to be needed in the future and find ways to validate those skills um, so employers can know like, hey, you know, we might have, we had this person come from our, our program, you know, from Bars of Bitcoin program and you know, yes, their 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 record is public. However, here goes some skills that we trained them to get. We helped them to get. Uh, here are some projects they've even built or companies been a part of. And you know, would you give them a shot full time? You know, not just ten ninety nine full time. You want skills? We want to be able to give people skills that they can actually get gainful employment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you have that and orange peeling small businesses in Vegas. It's something she loves to do. Um, there are several of them out there, um, but in general, I, that's that's something I'm I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, we start our, we should have a list of prisons to go to by the start of August. Um, and mm. that project within itself, man, if I could talk about it, like I, I told, like I shared, it kind of started on Clubhouse in 2021 with just a bit the front bars to Bitcoin room, and then. Uh, like I tried to go into the state of Virginia and they had a new governor elected and all communication got lost. And mm. even from there, just trying to find different ways to get in inside of a prison to teach this. Um, I met this one guy by the name of Cardell Sims and he has a group of rich professionals and you just go to different prisons around the country. Um, so, and I'll be coming on for the second half but it's just an amazing opportunity. Even if folks might not get a job, you know, just knowing that there's hope on the other side mm-hmm. of those doors and that hope yeah. is going to be orange. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? So um, that, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's what I'm bullish on, man. And uh, anybody, anybody looking to support that we're here. Uh, we have a Twitter page, uh, website, should be on guys by the time this is live. So, you know, it, it it's just something different to bring to the to bring to the Bitcoin community and um, provides hope. You know, again, that's that's why I'm thinking you solve a problem that the real world has omitted 
to being need to being solved to have a need to have a solved. So mm. that's just trying to put my proof of work out there, man. Not even my proof of work. Hope you edit that out. That's us putting our proof of work out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's amazing, and it, it it's it's beautiful here to people talk about like Bitcoin. Yes, it's cool. Yes, it's amazing. Yes, we think it's going to change the world. But also, it's like, what are you doing right now? You're also Bitcoin aside. It happens to be Bitcoin, but you're like, I I want to help people re-enter out of prison and like get actual like good employment and start a, a new life in let's say if they don't even get bitcoin quite yet it's like this is like jumping into an early internet like the internet yeah. doesn't exist yet and it's the internet yeah. think about the world after that that's what bitcoin is so it's like yeah. frame it that way as well for an yeah. industry I, I that's absolutely incredible um and if you're a bitcoin company or you're a company that does bitcoin thank you about doing bitcoin whatever reach out to justin reach out to this initiative and hire some of these people, right? It is not hard as Justin, you know, it's a whole other thing you've talked about as well, even coming out of prison, depending on what state you're in, some states are a little more quarry friendly than others, but there are still so many that are not, like will not mm-hmm. even look at you. So I think being in the Bitcoin community, if you're a Bitcoin or you're a, you, you know, you're in a privileged position to run a Bitcoin venture or whatever, um, we're starting something new that's to, to help people so one of the ways you can help is connecting with Justin and being willing to to hire these people, train them. If they don't have the skills you need, talk about training them. Don't don't right. make them do the old system of like go to college, then come and you know do this. Train them, like pay to yeah. train them uh, and yeah. do that. I think that would be huge. Yeah, because it's, it's it's a it's a magnificent ingenuity in prison that you know that I feel could take Bitcoin to another level if used correctly mm-hmm. over. Some years, you know, some years, to be honest. Um, but I got this idea. I read this book called The Future is Faster Than You Think by Stephen Kotler. And in there, he talks about um, this guy in India, I believe. He, like, carved a carved a rectangle in the wall and put a tablet in there around some children. And the tablet was pure English, so pure English. And he said it probably took him, like, three to four weeks to master how to use the tablet in English. And what the reason he made that, that claim was like, the future does not require a prerequisite of knowledge mm. to be successful with. Like you could just, you want to be a part of technologies like Bitcoin and, um, you know, maybe 3D printing, AI, you know, whatever the, the buzzword is, because they're going to always try to put the newest technology above Bitcoin. When in my opinion, they all, they'll all found a way to uh, complement Bitcoin. But if you if you chase disruption, no one is there to tell you what you can or can't do. Um, you could put yourself out there as a subject expert. You can expose yourself to a new, uh, you know, new investments. I guess if that's your field too. But you give yourself a chance. Give yourself a different type of chance, and people got to catch up to you now. So um, that's that's one of the, that's that's the way I look at it. Um, it's still a very disruptive technology. Um, people still know nothing about it, really, even us on this call. And to the fact that, with that being the truth, if you if you come early and you 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 come here early, you look for ways to apply yourself and put your skills out there and get better and better you know, something will happen, you know, good things will happen. So, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the gist of, that's the gist of how 
and from bars to Bitcoin reentry tour and the Bitcoin transformation community got started. That's awesome. Oh, we're gonna make sure all of that is in the the show notes, YouTube, Twitter. You know, we're we're uh, we're here in your corner. Anything that that I can do, you know, uh, others that you know I'm in contact with, just just reach out. You know, we'll be talking. This is this is amazing. This is awesome. And the type of stuff that you know, if we're gonna be like you know the progressive bitcoiner podcast these are the types of things we want to support so um really excited to see where this goes and you know i I know we'll be talking and um you know before we jump off anything that anything else that you wanted to mention point people in any other directions that sort of thing follow the bitcoin transformation community um follow our our amazing co-founder dr stacy boyle um she has 25 years in the lnd space and she has her own proprietary product called the Impact Blueprint, and um, it's amazing. She, she, I think she like beat up three people in court over trademark suing some <laughs> trademark lawsuit. So she's real passionate about it. But I mean, just um, and, and keep in touch. Uh, just stay watching. You know, stay watching Twitter. Um, and uh, but anyway, um, if you would love to support, we're open for volunteers. Um, we'll link the volunteer page on on the show notes, but just check out our website and don't don't feel don't do not feel shy about reaching out in any way. Uh, we're here for all feedback, positive, negative. Um, but yeah, support the support the Bitcoin transformation community and stay tuned for more. Man. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Justin. This was such a a pleasure, and uh, we'll we'll do this again sometime. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We will, man. Have a good one, Troy. All right, you too. Take care.